appreciate everyone that's been asking about how Elijah has been doing. Aside from having a broken leg, he's been dealing with temperature that's been kind of going back and forth. He had a, a rough day on Thursday uh, just with sickness and throwing up and everything you can imagine, but seems to be getting better from that, but his temperature kind of fluctuates throughout the day, so certainly appreciate your prayers and continued prayers as Ruthie is at home tending to him, making sure he's doing all right. Um, she'd much rather be here than to be at home, but they kind of frown upon leaving a four-year-old at home by himself. So um, Tonight we're going to be looking at a passage in James chapter 5, so if you would turn with me to James chapter 5. And two verses tonight that we'll be focusing our attention on, verses 7 and 8, James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, in a sermon that I've titled, Patiently Waiting for the Lord. Patiently Waiting for the Lord, James chapter 5, and in a moment we'll read verses 7 and 8. There is much about the future that is just unknown. Even with as much as we plan, there are many factors that are well beyond our control. Dwelling on the future often leads people to panic as they frantically wonder what is going to happen, how they will get by, what is life going to look like in a year or two years or three years, and so on. It's amazing how quickly our confidence can crumble when life gets tough and questions about the future begin to swirl through our minds. It's usually times of crisis that get us thinking about the future. And there are really two ways to deal with this. You can take the high road or you can take the low road. And most people take the wrong path in times of crisis. Many people shake their fists at heaven and insist that the crisis is evidence that God doesn't exist. Others, though, are led to the opposite conclusion, that they have never found God to be more real to them than in a time of crisis. In many cases, trials reveal the true nature of the individual. Are we going to remain calm? Are we going to stay confident when we're stretched, when the pressure is turned up? Or are we going to shake our fist at heaven and question God and complain against him? What is crazy is that we can go from being completely calm and completely steadfast and confident to completely overwhelmed in a matter of a couple minutes. But regaining that confidence can take so much longer. All of a sudden, we start noticing all of the problems around us, and every little thing adds to our stress and just seems to be piling on top of each other. Some people are driven to panic attacks where they feel that they cannot breathe, and the slightest deviation from the normal causes them to have a mental breakdown. In an attempt to be, to be free of problems, some people will close their eyes and just pretend like nothing at all is wrong, that everything is completely fine. They'll turn off the television, they'll put away the phone, they'll act as if nothing is wrong at all. But can I offer maybe another solution, another option? How about sitting down and reminding yourself of the fact that God is always in control? This is the truth that every believer knows. If I took a poll right now and asked how many of you believe that God is in control in every single moment, every hand would go up. Absolutely, we believe it. But is that really on our mind all the time, especially when... The pressure is turned up when things are going a bit chaotic in life, where the ground beneath our feet seems like it's crumbling. Often the last thing or the furthest thing on our mind is that God is still in control. 
We're worried, we're stressed, we're anxious about what's going to happen, and we're not thinking about how God has even this under control. We don't live every day with this knowledge at the forefront of our minds, and it's evident every time we allow ourselves to worry, to panic, to stress, or to despair, to get angry, or even overwhelmed. Does anything, though, ever catch God by surprise? Is he up in heaven thinking, wow, I never saw that coming. I didn't anticipate this ever happening. No. God always knows what is happening. God never takes a break. He never goes on vacation. He is never indifferent to the present state or future state of his children. God is always knowing what is happening and what will ever happen. He cares eternally. We just sang, does he care? Yes, he cares. He cares about every one of us. And it is never, and he is never too far to help us in our hour of need. And even better than that, God is not confined by the same limitations that confine us, not to mention the fact that he's all-powerful. When you can remind yourself of this truth and really allow it to sink into your heart and into your mind, it'll slowly bring back that peace to your life. God will settle your thoughts to be focused on him, even if you don't know how the trials that you're in the middle of are going to end, how they're going to end up. Here in James chapter 5, Believers are given some practical lessons as to how we can be patiently waiting on the Lord even when things in your life seem to be completely out of sorts, chaotic, and just a mess. Follow along as I read just two verses, James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. God will one day usher every single believer into his presence. But until that day comes, we have the exciting task of seeing how many people we can bring with us. How many people we can make sure are going to be carried home to heaven with, with us. I want you to notice, first of all, and it may sound a little weird to say this, but we need to hurry up and wait. We need to hurry up and wait. Verse 7 here says that we are to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Patience is not a passive quality. Patience is not, I'm going to sit back and wait for something to happen, wait for God to move, wait for an answer, and I'm literally not going to do anything until I see that answer. That's not how patience works. Patience is an active quality. When you read throughout the, the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, you read about all the different individuals who had faith in God, and especially some of them that had patience. We see that patience is this active quality. It's an active, active aspect to it. Patience is not sitting back, waiting for something to happen. It means that we keep busy doing what God has called us to do and allow him to work on his timetable. We don't have to wake up each day wondering why God hasn't called us home yet or when the day is coming. Know that the Lord will one day call you home, but understand that he'll call you home when he deems it necessary. Let God do what he's promised to do, and you keep busy serving him. May he find that you are active and you are faithful as you're serving him when he comes to call you home. What we find is that there is a direct correlation as we think about faith and even patience together we find that there is a direct correlation between the strength of a person's faith and their ability to patiently wait for the lord the stronger that our faith is in god 
the more we're able to handle the challenging circumstances of life. It's certainly not one of our best attributes, but something that we need to be working on every single day. Someone has said that patience has a bitter taste, but a sweet aftertaste. I think that really encapsulates patience really well. That it has, again, a bitter taste, but a sweet aftertaste. No one wants to be forced to be patient. You know, they, they say, don't ever pray and ask God to give you patience because he'll test you with it. No one wants to be forced to be patient. But what you find for having been patient is actually quite rewarding. Think about some of the great missionaries who served the Lord and the amount of patience they had to possess in their ministry. They didn't always see the success they wanted to see, especially not as quickly as what they wanted to see it or even as quickly as they expected to see it. Many of them had to wait a considerable amount of time before they saw almost any results. When missionaries brought the gospel to West Africa, it took 14 years 14 years before they saw the first convert. 14 years. It took 10 years of sharing the gospel for the first person to be saved in East Africa and 16 years of sharing the gospel in Tahiti to see the first convert there. That is a long time to be sharing the gospel. It took William Carey. William Carey is considered to be the father of modern-day missions. It took him seven years to lead the first Hindu to Christ as he was witnessing. America's first missionary, a man by the name of Adoniram Judson, served the Lord for 16 years before he was able to lead the first Burmese man to the Lord and then baptize him. Now, these are just a handful, a handful of many examples of faithful servants of the Lord demonstrating great patience as they ministered for Christ. And imagine what life was like for them. Imagine what the world would be like if people like these missionaries did not have such a steadfast patience. Imagine after one year, they see no results and say, well, I guess this wasn't for me. I guess God is, is closing the door and I'm gonna go home and pack up my things and go do something else. How easy would it have been for these missionaries to give up? Waiting 10 years, seven years, 16 years before they see really the fruit of their labor, what they ventured out to do. How easy would it have been for them to give up? How easy would it have been for them to view their work and their service a failure after a year or two years or multiple years with little to no results? How many mission organizations did they have to keep encouraging to not give up on them? How many supporting churches did they have to constantly write and, and plead and beg for them to continue supporting them even though the results weren't seen as much as they wanted to be seen? In each of these instances and many more, the aftertaste of that steadfast patience was sweet because the servants of God knew how to wait on the Lord and trust in his timetable. Easier said than done, though, isn't it? That's why we need some instructions on how we as Christians can be patiently waiting on the Lord. How do we do this? If you think back to your own life, you'll find that the Lord has probably spoken to you the clearest during a time of crisis, during a time of turmoil. You grow closer to him. The lessons you learned in those seasons were greater, especially when the pressure seemed like it was increasing. Maybe you're feeling like you're in the middle of one of these seasons right now. 
Maybe you're dealing with issues individually or as a family that are just stretching you to your limits. It could be that God is trying to get your attention. Maybe he's teaching you a lesson. Maybe he's trying to show you something important. Maybe he's been trying to get your attention for quite some time here. God used several circumstances this week for me to do just that in my life, and it was humbling. Sometimes it's not anything new. Sometimes it's just something he wants to remind you of that you've forgotten. And in order to remind us, he needs to bring us to the end of ourselves so that all we see is him. As much as those moments are difficult, we need them. We need those seasons of difficulty. We need those trials in our lives because that is when we're able to see God in such a clearer way and to grow closer to him. That is when God increases our patience and our faith in him to overcome greater obstacles that are sure to come in our future. What God wants us to learn in the present is to always rejoice in him and to give thanks to him even in the trials because out of them he brings something great. God wants us to view the trials of today as a stepping stone, as a launching point for something greater in our future. How different would our lives be if we treated each trial this way from the beginning? That God is bringing this as a means of helping me step into something even better. Rather than questioning God, rather than worrying, rather than getting discouraged and stressed and overwhelmed, imagine how much better we would be if our initial reaction to a trial, to a difficult situation, was to give thanks to God and to rejoice in what he's doing, knowing that the end result, which you have no idea what it is, but knowing that the end result is going to be to our benefit, even when we don't understand God's plan yet, just yet. You'd actually be able to get some sleep at night. You might even have less gray hair, or you may just have more hair. You might be in better health. You will definitely be a better witness for Christ because rather than feeling and looking completely discouraged, your countenance would reveal that, yes, your life seems like it's falling apart, but you know God's in control. And if others find out about what you're dealing with, what a powerful testimony that will be when they think, how are you holding it together? Because if I were in your shoes, I'd be a wreck. And if they're seeing that you can still have peace and confidence in the midst of crisis... What a powerful testimony that will be for others to have the same confidence in Christ, to remain calm and to be at peace, knowing that even in their lives, God is in control, even though the ground beneath their feet seems like it's crumbling. Life seems to calm down quite a bit when we can learn to patiently wait on the Lord. And here in James chapter 5, this idea of patience, it comes up numerous times. Just... Look at verses 7 through 11 with me and notice how many times this word or even the idea of patience comes up. Again, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Just right there, you're seeing that 
word patience or the idea of it numerous times. We're told to be patient. It says, the husbandman waiteth patiently for the fruit. We are to be patient again, as it says there in verse number eight. We are to learn from the example of the prophets who suffered patiently. We're to learn from the example of Job, who the Bible says endured patiently. So we're to be patient. We're to be waiting. It says, enduring suffering. Endurance is there as well. And all of these things, though, are not exactly high on our list of things that we want to be hearing about when we come to church, that we need to be having more patience, that we need to be enduring more times of suffering and affliction. We want happy thoughts, right? We want things that are going to be encouraging. We want to be able to leave here at church feeling good about everything and especially about life. Unfortunately, life in the real world is filled with patience, waiting, suffering, and endurance. When Paul was imprisoned, he spoke of his own struggles with patience, but he acknowledged that even when circumstances were not favorable to him, they were favorable for proclaiming the gospel. This was part of our, our scripture reading this morning, but listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. As he's imprisoned, he says, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul was not in this situation by choice. He, he, he didn't choose to be arrested. He didn't choose to have to basically be waiting out a death sentence. He wasn't there because this was his choice and he, he willingly walked into it. But as he was patiently waiting on the Lord, he used this situation as a platform to proclaim the gospel to people he otherwise would have never encountered. He found peace and contentment knowing that God was still doing something in him, even though from a human perspective, it seemed to everyone else that all hope was lost for the Apostle Paul. As important as patience is for us to, to get and to embrace, it is not easily attained. The reason being because this type of faithful response that we see specifically in the Apostle Paul can only be learned through much tribulation. Listen to what he said in Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4. Romans 5 verses 3 and 4. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. It's something we all want. Right? That, that's where we want to end up. It's just we don't like the journey getting to that point. Because getting to that point where it end, ends with hope, as it says there, is a, a long and arduous journey where we're going to be stretched, where we're going to go through the fire, where we're going to be pressed and pushed to our limits. We don't want to get to that point. Or we don't want to, we want to get to that point, but we don't want to get, get it there that way. No one wakes up in the morning and prays to God, Lord, could you please send me a whole bunch of trials today that are going to completely break me? Hit my family with sickness. Bring a financial hardship. Just do something drastic in my life that is going to leave me feeling completely overwhelmed and distressed. No one wakes up praying like that. I hope not. But to some degree, it would almost make sense for us to do that with the idea that growing closer to God is our goal and growing closer to God 
especially like what the Apostle Paul was talking about, is often only capable, only possible through much tribulation. And this is why Paul was able to say there in Romans chapter 5 that we glory, he says, in tribulations. Because he knew that tribulation produces patience, patience experience, experience hope. I don't know that he was actively praying, God send us tribulations. But when they came, he was able to see that God was still at work in the midst of the situation. Paul could see that God was using these trying and these difficult situations to strengthen him, which ultimately produced hope. And this hope that he speaks of is not the same way that we use the word hope today. We throw around the word hope and we almost, almost attach a negative to it. The, the word hope today leaves open the possibility of, of what you're hoping for never becoming a reality which is completely contrary to the true meaning of Scripture. We might look at a weather forecast and we might say something like, well, I really hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. That leaves it open that it might snow tomorrow. Some of you are thinking, I really hope it does snow tomorrow. It might give me a day off. Maybe you're waiting for some test results and you're thinking to yourself, I hope things turn out okay. We use that word hope wishing for something to happen, but leaving it open to not happen. This is not the way the word hope is used in Scripture. When we see the word hope in Scripture, it always speaks of a confident expectation. It is a certainty that this is going to happen, whatever you have hope in. This is why when Paul says in Romans chapter 5, that tribulations produce patience and patience produce experience and experience produce hope. He's not saying that it produces something that might end up good. But he's talking about something that produces a confident expectation of what God has promised for us in the future. A certainty that what God has declared will indeed happen. Hope is a solid foundation giving us a positive outlook on life regardless of the circumstances that you're dealing with. Hope gives us the assurance that God has already worked out the situation that we're in for our good, even if we can't see the end of it yet. Hope is the desired outcome of patience, and it's what we need more of today. And it all starts with tribulation, he says. The good news is that you don't have to pray for tribulation because God sends them free of charge. You don't have to ask him for it. Sometimes you wake up and they're just there. Whether you're looking for them or not, trials are on their way. Maybe life is going okay for you right now. I hate to burst your bubble. Something's going to happen. God is going to bend you. God is going to stretch you. God is going to turn up the heat. All of it for good. Tribulation, work with patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. Confident expectation in God's word. Tribulation doesn't knock on our door and wait for us to open it up before it comes in. Tribulations break down the door and bombard you without a moment's notice. And this is why we're told to embrace patience because whether we want to admit it or not, trials are coming. For some of us, they've arrived and they've just lingered and lingered and lingered. And the sooner we learn to handle ourselves in the midst of these circumstances, the sooner we'll learn why God has brought them so hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Second, 
Why does God delay? Why does God delay? Look at verses 7 and 8 again. James chapter 5, 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Why does God delay? The original recipients of this small book were a group of struggling believers that desperately needed some encouragement. Many of them thought that the only encouragement they would ever find, because how bad things were, would be for the Lord to return in their lifetime. And James tells them, and even us today, to be patient as we wait for the Lord. If it appears that the Lord delays, there's a good reason. There are days where we look around and we echo the call of Revelation 22:20. 20, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Couldn't be soon enough. And then there are other days where we look around and think there's still so much work for us to do before Christ comes. There are places we have yet to evangelize. There are people that we're yet to share the gospel with. And, and, and so we wish for the Lord to delay a little bit longer in order for the sake of, of a few more souls being saved. If the Lord returns in our lifetime, or if he tarries another 200 or 300 or 400 years, that is only for him to know. Our responsibility as Christians stays the same. We're to be eager, we're to be urgent in sharing the gospel and ministering to the people that God has placed in our lives. I wonder how many of you will admit to this. How many of you are our backseat drivers in here? Knowing a backseat driver? Come on. In a room full of people, someone's got to be a back. Okay. One? No one else is a back. Okay. Side seat okay. Side seat. Same thing. Side seat driver, back seat driver. And you David? Seal? Okay. Some of us are being honest. I've ridden with people who scare me to death as they're behind the wheel. Have any of you ridden with someone that... Maybe you're not a backseat driver, but you, you fear for your life as they're behind the wheel of the car. Yes? I have. Uh, and not my wife. She's actually a good driver. Um, but backseat driving is a thing because no one drives exactly how you would drive, Right? And then that's why we, we sit in the back seat or sit in the side seat and we critique every little nuance that this person is doing because it's not the way we would do it. Maybe they drive too slow for you. Maybe they drive too fast. Maybe they don't brake soon enough. Maybe they're a little reckless. Maybe they don't pay enough attention to the road or they view certain laws and certain road signs as mere suggestions. <laughs> Either way, I'm sure we've all experienced occasions where either in the passenger seat or in the back seat, we've wanted to push our foot through the floorboard to try and get the car to stop because someone's not braking quick enough. They don't see the red light. They don't see the cars in front of them. Sometimes we act like a backseat driver with God. We see the direction that he's taking us, but we don't agree about going about it the right way. Maybe we think he's moving too fast. Or maybe we think he's not moving fast enough. In this instance, we're specifically told to wait patiently on the Lord. You might think he's moving too slow. You might think that he's going about it a different way that you would go about it. But believe it or not, God's actually working things out for our own good. 
Why does God delay? He's got a reason for it. No need to question him. Third, I want you to notice a picture of patience that we see given to us here in verse number seven. There's an illustration that we're given here in verse number seven. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. The Holy Spirit led James to offer a farming, a farming illustration here to teach on patience. Now, in a, in a farming culture, which these folks would have been part of, if you didn't farm well, you didn't eat. And in those days, they didn't have the irrigation systems that we have today, so they were very dependent upon rain. The early rain was what started that growth cycle for the plants, and the latter rain provided the moisture to mature the harvest. When there's no water, guess what? There's no harvest. Therefore, the farmers were heavily dependent upon the rain. The farmer had to do everything in his own power to, to get the ground ready, had everything ready to receive the water when it would come. And if and when God brought the rain, then they could count on the harvest. So patience was a very necessary quality for farmers since they had no control over the rain unless your name was Elijah. And this is the picture James used to teach us today the lesson on waiting for the Lord's return. Our job as believers is really the same as the farmer. We're to prepare the ground. We're to prepare the soil to nurture one another, to make good use of that early rain which was when Christ came the first time. And to prepare ourselves and everyone else for the latter rain, which is when Christ shall return to gather up his harvest. If those first century believers thought they had been waiting a long time for Christ's return, what must we think today? It's been nearly 2,000 years since Christ ascended to heaven. How much longer do we have to wait? They're being told there, as part of the first century believers. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Just like the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and had long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be patient. Fourth, God is operating on heaven standard time. God is operating on heaven standard time. Look at verse number eight. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Regardless of when Christ returns, we know he will return. Christ is not limited by time, doesn't operate in the same realm as we do in reference to time. We're told about Christ's first coming in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4, where the Bible says, in the, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law when the fullness of time was come. In God's mindset of time, when the fullness of time was come. He didn't set forth a specific time frame and pass it down to man and say, when the calendar hits this day, on this year, I'm going to send my son. Only God knows when the time is right. Is there any reason for us to therefore doubt that he doesn't also know when the right time is for Christ to return? And still... People have looked at the years passing by and they've questioned whether Christ will ever return. 
Listen to what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Some people try and convince themselves that this apparent delay from God is actually a sign that Christ is not going to return at all. They tell themselves this to really avoid facing the reality that Christ's return will usher in a day of judgment that they're probably hoping to avoid. Many are willingly ignorant, and I say that willingly ignorant because it's hard to deny what God has clearly established. They're willingly ignorant because they don't want to believe the truth, and this is why Peter encouraged us to remember one truth about what appears to be a delay from God. Now listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not operating on any sort of earthly time, time zone. He's operating on a time zone that is above and beyond anything that is ever accessible to us. He created time, but he is not within time or even bound by time. He uses time for his own purpose, but he's never wondering what is going to happen next. He knows what's coming tomorrow because he's created tomorrow. He knows what's around every, every corner and every turn. A little boy was once trying to figure out this idea of God's timing. And so he asked God, he said, God, how long is a second in heaven? And God said, one million years. The boy asked, how much is one penny in heaven? God answered, one million dollars. So the boy asked, can I have a penny? God said, in just a second. Regardless of time here on earth, God's time is always right. Point number five, how we are supposed to wait. How we're supposed to wait. Now, from our perspective, and we kind of mentioned this, it appears that there are times where God delays. But we've already established that God's timing has not yet come if he's not yet returned. So what does that mean for us? How should, we, how should we be utilizing the time that God has given us? God may be allowing time for someone else to hear the gospel, for one more person to be saved. So be the instrument to bring God's truth to the world. God is waiting for that last person to be saved before Christ returns. As it says there in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our responsibility as believers doesn't change. doesn't change no matter what time it is. doesn't change no matter what year it is. We are to go and tell the world about Jesus Christ. Robert Ingersoll was one of the most famous atheists of all time. And he made a point of traveling all around and lecturing to people, lecturing to, uh, to, to students about how he views God doesn't exist. And he would constantly blame Christians and blame their beliefs in God for nearly every crime or every tragedy that ever happened. And he openly ridiculed anyone who claimed to believe in God. And in part of his lecture, what he was notorious for doing is he would take out a pocket watch, and this was during the 1800s, he would take out a pocket watch, and he'd open it up, and he'd say this, Almighty God, I'll give you five minutes to strike me dead for everything that I've said. 
And as he's ha- opened the pocket watch, he'll stare at that pocket watch for the five minutes as the seconds ticked by. And when the time expired, he would say, that proves there is no God. An evangelist by the name of Joseph Parker, he heard about this and he said, did the good gentleman think that he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in just five minutes? We often pray for things not knowing when God will answer. Just like we long for God to call us home not knowing when that day will come. As much as it may appear that God delays, that word delay does not exist in God's vocabulary. God is never too early. God is never too late. He is always on time. We just need to focus on redeeming that time that he has given us and utilize it for his glory. May he return and find that we are faithfully serving him. And point number six, the last point, the implications of patience. The implications of patience. Look at, again at verse number eight. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Believers are told to establish our hearts. It's easy to get caught up in all the nonsense and to lose heart in God's plan. With everything around you falling apart, nothing seeming to go your way, it can be easy to join the crowd and to question whether Christ is going to return at all. To a group of believers, James is encouraging them to establish their hearts. Double down, he's saying. Strengthen yourselves from the inside out. As we wait, we're to develop confidence. Don't allow your faith to weaken because you think the Lord's return is being delayed. Do not forget that God is always in control. God is not frantically running around heaven trying to figure out how and when he's going to have Christ return. How he's going to fit in Christ's return with everything else that he still needs to accomplish. He's not scatterbrained at all or panicked in one, in one way or another. God is steadfast. God is calm as he sits in control over everything, allowing everything to operate in perfect harmony as he intends it to operate. With our confidence in God's control and even God's sovereignty, we can remain steadfast in our faith even when life gets difficult and the trials come. Don't miss out on blessings because you lacked patience. Start viewing trials as an opportunity to strengthen you and bring you that hope that you need for the future. And remember, hope is that confident expectation. Establish your heart by reminding yourself of all the promises that God has made to you and all the faithfulness that God has demonstrated to you in the past. For the trials of life that we're to yet to navigate, rest confidently that God will guide you through each of them as you patiently wait on him. Spend more time in God's word. Allow the truth of God's word to penetrate into your soul and into your heart. God will turn those trials into blessings and prepare you for something so much better. And with all the extra free time you now have because you're no longer worrying and stressing about everything, you can go and tell others of how they can experience the same peace that you have because of your confidence in Christ. Don't go through life feeling like you have to hang on by a thread. God has made it so that you can have all the confidence that you'll ever need. Just don't forget it and don't throw it away when that trial comes. Patiently wait for the Lord and see how he'll turn those trials into hope. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can find so much comfort and confidence in you. May we learn the value of patience and even prayer. Lord, as we look to you and and wait, but actively wait, Lord, for your return. May your return find that we are faithfully serving you to the best of our ability. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight as we close.